You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's podcast is sponsored by my new favorite animated TV show, Tuttle Twins, the first cartoon series to teach kids principles of freedom, economics, and liberty, and to be funny in the process. Nowadays, hidden political agendas are constantly forced on your kids in entertainment and in schools. Tuttle Twins is a hilarious cartoon series that teaches kids about the principles of freedom without being overly preachy. It's educational and hilarious, and there are lots of jokes for adults too. The best part? You can watch Tuttle Twins entirely for free. Just go to TuttleTwins.tv, that is TuttleTwins, T-U-T-T-L-E, T-W-I-N-S dot TV, and over there, you can watch all of the episodes for free. One more time, that's TuttleTwins.tv. Highly recommend it. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bane, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Gonzalo Lira. He is a YouTuber who is currently based in Ukraine, and he's going to be sharing some personal insights about what is going on over there. So welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm in Kharkov, eastern Ukraine, and... Um... Yeah, it's right now we're in the middle of this uh, semi-siege because it's not actually a siege of the city. It's more a diversionary move by the Russians. And so, yeah, a lot of bombs going off, but uh, none near me so far. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. So you are originally American. Is that correct? I'm ch- from Chile. Oh, you're from Chile. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, how long have you... With a name like Gonzalo Lira, you better believe it. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I believe that. But obviously, there's many people with uh, such sounding names yeah. in the USA. I, I thought you were American. My bad. Um, no, 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 sorry. How long have you but been, been, in, how long been, have you been in, in Ukraine for? I've been since, here since uh, 2016, living here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been coming off and on since 2012 um, because uh, my wife uh, is from Ukraine, from this region. We met in Germany um, uh, through some friends. She was the au pair of some friends. And, uh, you know, long story short, here I am living here and uh, it's been quite the experience. Yeah. And, and uh, to tell you the truth, uh, see, when I moved here, I deliberately decided not to get involved in politics in, in any shape or form because I figured, you know, I'm the guest in somebody else's country. And so I'm not going to get involved in politics because, like, you know, I go to your house, you know, and I'm, I don't start, like, looking at your home decor and telling you how to, you know, where to put your furniture. Right. I just thought it would be just rude. As a, as a guest to start sticking my nose in Ukrainian politics. But because of this war, all of a sudden I've had to become very um, familiar with Ukrainian politics and the situation here. And um, yeah, and, and especially because of some early videos that I did when the war started that were sort of like impromptu and uh, trying to make sense of the situation. They, um, 
they got the attention of some fairly unsavory people. <laughs> and so, so I had to um, get out of uh, Kiev where I was. I'd gone to Kiev on a, on, on a business trip uh, and I'd arrived the night before actually. And so I had to leave Kiev and come back to Kharkov uh, just as the uh, Russian army <laughs> arrived here and semi surrounded the city. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a very difficult experience, but uh, very interesting as well. Uh, the thing that I've discovered is that um, the Ukrainian state, especially under Zelensky, is a, uh, it's a fascist police state. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not one of those people who just, you know, oh, J.K. Rowling is against trans rights. Oh, she's a fascist. No, no, no. I mean, this is for real fascist, like real, you know, uh, American history X skinheads, the real deal. No fooling around. This is a fascist police state. And the Zelensky regime is a, um, a regime that before the war was repressing journalists, was uh, shutting down news organizations that were critical of his regime. And you have to keep in mind that Zelensky is an actor. He's not the real power of, of, uh, in Ukraine. The real power is, is ultimately the true president of Ukraine is a woman named Victoria Nuland, who is the undersecretary of state for political affairs uh, in the US State Department. She's been micromanaging Ukraine since 2013. She is the person most responsible for this mess that we're in. And, uh, and I can tell you in detail, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you want me to just keep on ranting and telling you the, the story about this. Well, yeah, keep on talking. I mean, I'm not even going to pretend to be any type of expert in these affairs. Oh, neither this is not something yeah. I've looked into in any depth. And obviously... You're coming with some major claims here, and there will be people listening going, wait, hang on, what's this sure. guy talking about? But this podcast is called Real Talk with Zuby. I like to get perspectives from different angles. I'm not into you know, just going with one narrative. I think everybody should be able to speak their piece, of, of course. Um, sure. so, so carry on with what you're saying there. Okay, so you have to understand that uh, Zelensky was a um, television and film actor in Ukraine uh, before 2018 when he ran for president. Now, uh, the, the, the issue of, of uh, what you call it, of Zelensky, he was hired by a man named Ihor Kolomoisky, who is a Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian Israeli Cypriot financier oligarch. He's one of the famous oligarchs of extremely rich men. He's one of them. And he has deep ties to organized crime in multiple countries. And he um, owns One Plus One Media. Uh, and he also owns or has a very large share of Burisma, the famous gas company, Ukrainian gas company, that had Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, as a member of the board. By the way, everything that I'm telling you, this is on Wikipedia. This is common knowledge. This you can find it anywhere. I'm not making any claim that is... You know, and crazy as the story sounds, it's all true. That's why mm -hmm. it's so crazy. So anyway, uh, Zelensky had no political interest whatsoever. He was just an actor, a very successful local actor, as people are in different countries. And um, he specialized in romantic comedies, that kind of thing. And Ihor Kolomoisky hired him uh, because Kolomoisky himself had had political ambitions. He actually ran for president in 2014, and he crashed and burned. And so he figured that he'd hire an actor to play the role of president in a TV show and transition this actor into an actual candidate, which is basically what he did. From 2015 to 2018, Zelensky was an actor playing the role of an accidental president in this TV show called Servant of the People. And Kolomoisky organized a political party called Servant of the People, a real political party, mm -hmm. and transitioned Zelensky, the actor, into Zelensky, the presidential candidate. And they astroturfed the show and astroturfed the um, political support of the party serving the people. And because of the negative appreciation of the previous president, all of a sudden Zelensky was president of Ukraine in 2019. And he ran on a, on a platform of inclusivity, you know, all the typical Western values that we love so much, diversity, all the good, good stuff. And uh, one of the principal issues was that you see, Ukraine is a divided country. There are essentially two ethnic groups. There are ethnic Russians and ethnic Ukrainians. The ethnic Russians are in the east and the south, all along the Black Sea. And the ethnic Ukrainians tend to be in the center and towards the west. Now, you do have to keep in mind that towards the west, towards the town of Lviv, it is 
uh, there's no other way to put it. It's fascist country. Uh, the people out there are uh, hardcore fascists. Mm -hmm. What, what, so when you when you say when you say that, what exactly does that mean? Because that's a very that's a very bold term. and broad yeah. statement. Yeah, they are people who admire Adolf Hitler and uh, the whole uh, Third Reich Nazi regime. When you say proudly, when you when you say the people, are you talking about the general population? Or are you talking about certain no, factions? A, a large a, a large uh, minority of politically active people in the West in in the West of Ukraine. Okay, and this okay. is this is common knowledge. This is. It, it, it's not like a big surprise, okay? And uh, what happened? Was, what happens is that, see, the country has been sort of like teeter-tottering between the ethnic Russians and the ethnic Ukrainians. Now, Kolomoisky, as this uh, oligarch, he is very anti-Russian for who knows why, but he is. And when Zelensky became president, he surrounded him with a lot of people who were from the right sector and other... Uh, neo-Nazi fascist groups. There's the Azov Battalion, which is an actual battalion, uh, which started out, by the way, as a, a um, football club. It was, it was, you know, just football hooligans of the Metalist Club here in Kharkov, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them came from here, some of them came elsewhere. But Azov Battalion, that's where it started. That's how it got its start back in the early 2010s. And during 2014 and onward, these... Um, these hooligan gangs who were instrumental in the coup d'etat of 2014, they were trained by NATO to become an actual fighting force. In fact, the mm -hmm. entire Ukraine military was trained by NATO for in, what's called interoperability. In all essence, the Ukrainian armed forces are NATO forces in terms of the equipment, tactics, communication systems, everything, mm -hmm. because of this principle of interoper interoperability which is the NATO doctrine where any country that is of NATO, its military can be taken out and plugged in anywhere and they'll fit. You can have like a German and a French unit working together or a Polish and an Italian team working together, no problem, okay? Mm -hmm. The Ukrainians were trained to NATO standards over the past eight years from the coup of 2014. Now, what happens is Zelensky ran on this platform of being, you know, inclusive and all the rest of it. And what happened was that, see, um, as soon as he became president, he started implementing uh, laws that were anti-Russian, okay? Um, you know, prohibiting the Russian language in, in official documentation and official government affairs, where before it had been both languages because the country was so evenly split between the two ethnic groups and the two mm -hmm. languages. And so what happened over time was that there was a greater and greater crackdown on ethnic Russians, because what happens is that the ethnic Ukrainians, or more properly said, this very radical fringe of ethnic Ukrainians who are extremely nationalistic, fascist, extremely um, just fascist, basically, and they're, they're thugs. It, it's not complicated. It seems complicated from the outside, but when you start getting into it, you realize it's very simple. They're mm. thugs who want to impose Ukrainian, Ukrainianism, Ukrainian nationalism throughout the country of Ukraine, irrespective of the ethnic Russians. And what happened is that this group, they cracked down on anybody who was considered quote unquote pro-Russian and they purged them from the government, from the bureaucracy, from the parliament, from every sector of society. They were punished politically and economically. Um, television stations were shut down, newspapers were shut down. It was all this push to make it pro-Ukraine, national Ukraine, because what happened is that after the 2014 coup d'etat, a lot of these neo-Nazis and, and these thugs who were like left over from the revolution had been key in it because they'd been the agents provocateur in the violence that occurred in 2014. Well, they were absorbed into the Ukrainian armed forces and spread around. And so they spread out their ideology throughout the military and throughout the society, quite frankly. And so that's how you have this very small minority group after 2014 sort of like spreading their ideology throughout the country. And they were the ones who were instrumental in attacking the Donbass because the Donbass is the most Russian area in Ukraine. And in the 2014 um, so-called revolution, which is really, like I said, a coup d'etat, they wanted to break away and they tried to break away with assistance from the Russians. I mean, there's no question that the Russians helped, 
-hmm. but it was really a homegrown movement because they felt abused. In fact, they were abused and they broke away. And over the next eight years, the, uh, the, uh, the previous government before Zelensky, Poroshenko and then Zelensky, they continuously um, shelled the area of the Donbass, the, the cities, large cities of Lugansk and Donetsk and the areas there. Shelling that is sending artillery, you know, sporadically. Altogether, about 16,000 people were killed over the eight year span. It was just this relentless grind, but they never tried to take it because the Russians had made it clear that that was a red line for them. And so what happens was that we started having these crises and the United States saying in October of 2021, that the that the Russians were amassing forces on the border, which is not accurate. And they kept on insisting this. And what it what's when you say it's, it wasn't accurate, what was what was happening? What was happening was that the Ukrainians were amassing forces on the contact line. The contact line is the line dividing the rest of Ukraine from these two breakaway republics. They were amassing forces. In fact, they amassed roughly 100,000 troops there, uh, 100,000 combat troops. And their entire army, their entire armed force is 250,000, well, 260,000, 259 and change, if you want to be precise. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was that it was projection. They were accusing the Russians of doing what they were doing, which was amassing troops on the border of these breakaway republics, because the idea, which is becoming clear now, was to do a lightning strike and sweep through those two areas and take them. And the explicit goal was to annihilate the Russian population. To uh, to expunge the Russian population. Okay, that, can that I can I can I jump in here and just sure. ask because you know of course I have to uh, I have to play, play devil's advocate to some degree here because I yeah. do not have all this information. But where where is this information from? What what are your sources that you get this from? Because obviously this is not common knowledge. These are not things that are coming out certainly in any type of sure. Western mainstream media. So where, where's this information and these numbers coming from? The Pentagon, the British uh, Ministry of Defense, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, and the obvious fact that at this time, at that area, there are 60,000 Ukrainian troops that are trapped. The 60,000 are what remain of this original force of 100,000 that was okay. gathered. And they're there trapped, and they're about to be annihilated. I mean, over the next uh, week or two. They're going to be completely encircled. And the Russians have already said that they're going to annihilate them. I mean, I mean, they're, they're saying publicly that they'll give every opportunity for them to flee and get out and all the rest of it. But they, they want them dead, uh, probably because of the, um, the torture and murder of the Russian POWs that came out a few days ago, which has really galvanized the Russians. I mean, they are, they are out for, for blood now because of those videos because they were really horrific. I mean, that was okay. unconscionable, you know? So, so the, so the, the mainstream narrative, of course, on a surface level has been posing Russia, Putin, absolutely yeah. 100% as the aggressive. Evil, but crazy. What, yeah. but what you're saying is that, well, no, for, let's put the evil and crazy to the side for now, but mm -hmm. certainly as the, as the aggressors in mm -hmm. the conflict. So mm -hmm. what you're suggesting here is that it's more nuanced and complicated than that and that there was mm -hmm. there was you there was aggression from the ukrainian side in oh, yes. this Absolutely. in this re region prior to that just yes. a matter of months ago yeah, well no a matter of weeks ago uh okay let's see the the ukrainians oh, sorry I, I, meant, I meant i meant amassing the troops you, you said towards the end of last year yeah, towards okay. the end of the last year and into the beginning of this year. And uh, according to um, here, we come to some controversy, but we have to we have to look at it in context. The Russians, the Ministry of Defense is saying that they were the um, Ukrainian task force, the joint, uh, I forget the name of the joint operating group or something they called it, which is the basically the army that they had there was going to launch its invasion, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense in mid-March. And that's why on the 25th of February, the Russians essentially beat them to the punch. That's basically what happened, okay? Um, the Ministry of Defense, the Russian Ministry of Defense is always extremely careful never to lie, which is really smart of them. Because whenever they have something that they don't really wanna talk about, they just pretend it didn't happen, but they never actively lie. 
unlike the Ukrainian side, which has this relentless PR machine. I mean, remember the ghost of Kiev, you know, the 13 on Snake Island and all these stories that are just absurd. Well, the, the Russian Ministry of Defense plays it much cooler. And they're actually, in, in a certain sense, they're kind of right because it doesn't really matter at this point. At the end of the day, the information warfare does not matter because between winning the information war, the Twitter war, and winning the war on the ground, only one matters, okay? And so anyway, I, I have to, I neglected to point out some things that were going on. At the end of 2021, the decision was clearly taken to invade. And that's when the Russians actually started amassing troops to have them ready, okay? Mm -hmm. Now the Russians, they had proven in spring of 2021 because of some kerfuffle that they could move a lot of troops really fast. At that opportunity, they moved 160,000 troops in 72 hours and really scared NATO because it was just like, wow, that's, that's fast. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the, I, it seems, it seems th this part is like more like sort of like speculation. And there's a bit of evidence that might, might say this, but it seems that before say early December, the Russians really hadn't amassed much on the borders with Ukraine. It was all pretty much bullshit from the West. And that it was only after a meeting with Victoria Nuland, she flew to Moscow and essentially threatened the Russians. And she told them to their face, you've got to admire her, her chutzpah. She told them to her face that she would make sure that their economy was destroyed if they interfered with what was to come, which was- Okay, sorry, course, who, who, who's this you're talking about? Victoria Nuland, she is the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs in the Joe Biden administration okay. in, the, in the State Department. Okay. She is the woman who engineered the coup d'etat in 2014. There are recordings of her talking to the then um, ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt. The two of them talking about which candidates, which politicians would be the interim prime minister of Ukraine even before the, the previous president, Yanukovych, had been deposed, okay? She's a well-known figure, and she has a, a deep and abiding anti-Russian hatred. I mean, it's really extraordinary. She hates them with a passion, okay? The, the reasons for that hatred, you'll just have to find out for yourself, but it's clear that she hates them. And she, um, like I said, micromanaged the revolution in 2014, and in 2021, and... Uh, 2021, she went and threatened the Russians that she'd ruined their economy with sanctions and all the rest of it. And the Russians decided, you know, let's let's get ready for this. Okay. So basically, the Ukrainians were going to attack in mid-March. Uh, why mid-March? It's unclear, but that was it seems to have been the target date. And what happened was that the Russians uh, attacked first. Now the Russians actually did something extremely clever. They came in with 190,000 troops. Um, and by the way, this invasion, um, number one, it's going to be won by the Russians, unquestionably. And number two, it's going to be studied for decades as one of the most brilliant military campaigns in history. And, and a lot of your listeners are going to say, what is this guy talking about? But if you understand what the Russians are doing, you realize that it is brilliant. And let me explain. You see, the Russians, they, um, they carried out maneuver warfare because they're not interested in conquering territory. They have a political objective. And so they are executing that political objective. That political objective is twofold, demilitarize Ukraine and denazify it, okay? They don't care about the cities. See, the Americans, what do the Americans do? When they decide they're gonna invade some country, they start sending planes to just destroy the infrastructure of the city. And they spend a few weeks at that while they amass an army. And once they have, you know, just totally obliterated the city and turned it into rubble, they roll in with their tanks. It's pretty much of a mopping up operation, like what's going on in Mariupol. Okay. Mm -hmm. But see, the Russians, they decided that they were going to attack Kiev, attack in the east in Kharkov, attack in the south from Crimea, attack from the Donbass in the southeast, if you will. And these multiple prongs, the aim was to pin down Ukraine forces, okay? The, the point of, for instance, attacking Kiev was not to take Kiev. Kiev is an enormous city. It's a modern city of, I don't know, three, four million people, something like that, it's huge, right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I've been there many times. I actually don't know the population. I ought to know that information, but it's huge, okay? Um, and so taking that city, you need hundreds of thousands of troops, but threatening that city, you don't need that many. You need, you know, 40, 50,000. And by having 40, 50,000 attacking troops, you can pin down a lot more of your enemy troops, in this case, the Ukrainian armed forces, which is what they've done. See, they, they attack and then pull back, attack and retreat and move around. And so that's why they never capture territory because their goal is not to capture territory. Their goal is to pin down big chunks of the Ukraine army. While the armies in the Southeast, in the Donbass region, they're the ones who attack the main army group, okay? And at the same time, the Russians went ahead and obliterated uh, Ukraine's air defense systems in the first few hours, and they sank its navy also in the first few hours. And what they've been doing since the very beginning is destroying all of the resupply and, 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 ammunition, and munitions and fuel depots of the entire country. And they keep relentlessly hitting them one after another, very systematically. And see, so what happens is that when you have maneuver warfare, which is what they're carrying out, which is like classic World War II warfare, if you don't have gasoline, you can't move. If you can't move, you're a sitting duck. And that's mm -hmm. what the Russians have been doing, okay? And so American commentators say, oh, they can't capture Kiev. Yeah, but they don't want to. <laughs> that's not in the plan, okay? They can't capture Kharkov. I'm here in Kharkov, right, in Eastern Ukraine. It's the second mm -hmm. largest city in the country. It has a population, I, I think, of 1.8 million or something like that. Okay. Um, I'm talking to you. The telephones work. I mean, the, the internet, uh, cell phone, right? Internet works, water works, electricity, everything works, okay? Because the Russians aren't interested in hurting the infrastructure. That's not their goal. Their goal is to pin down Ukrainian armed forces, okay? Now, why are you seeing all these destroyed buildings? Very simple, because the Ukrainian armed forces, the Zelensky regime forces, are putting military equipment near civilian uh, installations and infrastructure, schools and whatnot. And on Telegram, you can find tons of videos showing Ukrainian fighters sleeping in kindergartens, sleeping in hospitals that are empty, of course, of patients, but filled with soldiers with guns. They are deliberately putting their material, their, their weapons, their men in these civilian infrastructures so that they can draw Russian fire and claim a, you know, a, an atrocity on the part of the Russians and whatnot. I mean, like yesterday, there was a, a picture uh, on CNN, I think it was, and it showed a destroyed building. And the CNN headline said, you know, Russians destroy building, you know, a civilian building, right? But like right in the front of it, you saw a bunch of military vehicles. And so of course, what the Russians had been doing is they didn't care about the building, you know? They cared about wiping out those, uh, those trucks, okay? And so mm -hmm. that's what the Ukrainians have been doing, or the Zelensky regime people have been doing. Yeah, okay? I mean, what's, how do you know, okay, the, one of the problems, and honestly, mm -hmm. with this whole conflict, I have not spent, uh, when, it, when it started, I did a bit, sure. I did, you know, several hours of background research to at least understand a little bit of the history and mm -hmm. what's going on. But sure. one of the biggest problems, and this goes beyond this particular conflict, but I think one mm -hmm. of the biggest problems we are having right now, perhaps across the world, but certainly in Western countries, is being able to know what is true and what is not, right? Being yeah. able yes. to free ourselves of these you know we we all have our own biases but then of course there's bias in the news as we've already acknowledged there's outright fake news that can be propagated mm -hmm. on both sides of any issue mm -hmm. you have the cacophony of social media and all these mm -hmm. opinions and influencers and people out there whether on tv or not and i reach a point i, I think i with this particular one i just took a step back. i'm like you know what i have no idea what is true and what is not because i hear i will hear totally different things yes. from different people i mean what you're saying here i'm you know it's it's very interesting but i'm honestly also sitting here like well is this is this sure. correct is this right i'm i'm not hearing this from other places then again i'm not mm -hmm. actively seeking it out um mm -hmm. i just don't understand how do you how do you personally determine 
what sources are viable and what is true and what is false and what is propaganda? How do you yourself parse that out? Well, first of all, there's a smell test, okay? And you have to have a nose for bullshit. Let me give you a specific example. Uh, about uh, about four or five days ago, it couldn't have been more than that, a week, let's say a week ago, uh, somebody was saying on, on Twitter and, and CNN, you know, some, some big brain guy of some, you know, think tank or whatever, he was saying that the Russians were completely demoralized and one of the big problems was frostbite, that, that they were suffering from frostbite, you know? And I was like, I knew instantly it was bullshit, that the guy was just making up out of whole cloth what, what he was saying. Mm-hmm. How do I know that? Because I'm in Kharkov, right? And the temperature here over the last uh, four weeks, you know, since the start of this thing, has been very mild, you know? It's, it's it, I mean, yeah, it's dipped below uh, zero, but I mean, not something that actually, like, you know, would bother you. Not something uh, that Russians are not used to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you have regularly, you know, you live in an environment where during the winter, it'll hit minus 20 degrees Celsius, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you're in combat, i.e. you're busy moving around and handling stuff and all the rest of it. And, you know, the weather is, you know, it's floating between minus one and plus five. Mm-hmm. How on earth can you get frostbite? I mean, you're not going to get frostbite, right? And so it's some rando, mm-hmm. some big brained NGO guy with a lot of degrees from a lot of fancy universities and is telling some nonsense. You're going to just laugh. And here's something else that I realized. See, um, you went to Oxford, right? That's correct. Yeah, I went to Dartmouth, uh, which is an Ivy League school. Uh, and I, you know, when I when I applied to college, I got my pick and was able to go to whichever I wanted to. Okay, the head of intelligence of of uh, of Great Britain, HGCQ or whatever it's called, and he was claiming that the Russian morale was at a low point; it was just collapsing and all the rest of it. The exact opposite is the case right now. The exact opposite, and I will tell you exactly why. Because about three, four days ago, video started emerging of Zelensky regime soldiers. Um, uh, it, there's no plea way of saying. Uh, torturing and murdering uh, Russian soldiers, Russian prisoners of war. It was horrifying, okay? okay? What they would do, and there's video of this, and and I can tell you the exact location. It's about 25 uh, kilometers from my current location in the center of Kharkov. Just outside of Kharkov, at this uh, milk factory, these uh, Zelensky regime thugs um, had some vans with POWs, Russian POWs, which is perfectly normal. In every war, both sides capture enemy soldiers for whatever reason. It's it's normal. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that one side is winning or losing. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, the state of play. You have tens of thousands of soldiers. So if a handful of soldiers gets lost here or there, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And so these soldiers, Russian soldiers, clearly Russian soldiers, they've been identified. They were pulled off these trucks, these uh, vans, and they were ha- they were uh, handcuffed, or not even handcuffed. It was just tied up with their hands behind their back, and they were shot in the knees with automatic weapons, and shot in the knees and shot in the groin, and left there, and left there to suffer. And the um, Zelensky regime thugs mocked them. Hmm? And the thing is, see, these guys were taking video of it as a trophy, hmm? uh, you know, to 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 show, you know how they were treating these uh, Russian pigs because mm-hmm. these guys really hate Russians, really hate them. And the funny thing is that the Russians don't have this animosity towards them. They, they, they kind of like, it's not that they don't care. They just don't have that on animosity. It's like mm-hmm. um, you, do you have like, you're British, uh, uh, you're English as I understand it, right? Yeah. Do you hate Scottish people? I mean, with a burning passion of a thousand sons? No, no I, I love all people. <laughs> well, but you, you see my point, you know, these guys shot these Russian POWs, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of them died. It's known that they died, okay? There's no question that it was Zelensky did, it, did, did this did is this Is this mainstream knowledge, by the way? Is this something in that Russia, people it are is. aware of? In Russia, it is. They played it on the news in Russia, and people freaked out. People in China are completely freaking out over this. And in India as well, they think it's barbaric because it is. And there is the other video that is truly is the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. There's this boy and he can't be more than 20, 21 years old. And they interrogated him, slapped him around a little bit. And then it cuts to an image of him. He's in a stairwell with a 
Zelensky regime thug who um, stabs him to death. And he gives him the coup de grace by gouging out his eye and the knife must have slipped into his brain and that's how he killed him. And the screams are horrifying. I mean, just truly horrifying. And the kid who died has been identified. The man who did it is identified. There's no question that it was Zelensky regime people because that area where it happened, where it's been positively identified, that was under uh, AFU control. And these atrocities were broadcast on the nightly news repeatedly in Russia, okay? Right now, the mood in Russia is this has to get done and we can't back off. We have to win and get rid of these Nazis. I mean, they, they, I mean, you know, the morale, Mm -hmm. there is a sense of righteous indignation, okay? And that the Ukraine armed forces have to be not defeated. They have to be annihilated. And they have to, every single Nazi or proto-fascist or whatever you want to call them has to be, uh, you know, either annihilated or captured and tried and hung. I mean, there, there is a rage to the Russians. So is there, is, there, is there a separation here between these fascists and Nazis and the general military, or are you conflating them all together? That's the problem. That's the big, big problem. Because you see, the Azov Battalion and the uh, Adan Battalion uh, and, and some of the other groups, White Sector and uh, S-14, and, and it's called S-14, but the Cyrillic letter is a, is a C. So sometimes people call it C-14. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is that, see, after 2014, they, they, these groups were instrumental in the coup d'etat. And so they couldn't simply be dissolved. They had to be somehow given a reward. And that reward was to introduce them into the um, Ukrainian armed forces. And so it's unclear how much their ideology has permeated the whole of the Ukrainian armed forces. Mm-hmm. And because of these atrocities, which in the West, nobody, nobody is talking about them. And in, in, the, in Russia, in China and in India, it's the only thing they talk about. So is this, outrageous. Is, is, this, is this news and information? Is this easy to access yes. to for anyone anywhere. with just, an internet connection? Yeah, yeah just okay. go in and, and look for, you know, uh, Russian POWs murdered, tortured, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or Russian POW knife to death, eye gouge. You Google it and you'll find... And I suggest you do not look at them, okay? Mm-hmm. I wrote a long, long Twitter thread about it because I saw that. And you see, in my current cir- circumstances, the SBU is definitely after me. The SBU is the uh, Ukrainian secret police. Or SBU, or perhaps it's just one of these uh, thuggish groups because a lot of times the SBU, what it does is that instead of them going out to look for somebody, they sort of like outsource it to one of these paramilitary fascist groups. And these paramilitary fascist groups will go out and do the dirty work for them. Now, this is not me just saying this. Like there's the, um, the whatchamacallit, the, uh, uh, I can't change on my phone because I, I exist on my phone. And so I, I can't, if I change you, I'll cut the connection. So I can't do that. But on the pinned tweet on my Twitter account, there is a list of names of people that if you Google them, you will discover that each and every one of them was kidnapped by one of these um, goons of the paramilitary fascist elements and then handed over to the SBU who promptly um, tortured them, tortured them and in some cases murdered them. I can speak to you specifically about any one of those people in that list. Go to my Twitter account, which is Real Gonzalo Lira. Go to the pinned tweet. It's the first one there. You can't miss it. And there's a list of names. Uh, Zuby, actually, I don't know if you can do that because unfortunately, I can't do it on my phone because it'll break the connection. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can see it. I've got. I've got the names in front of me. Can you read them, please? Vladimir Struk. Yes, Dennis he was Kiriv. the mayor. Wait, okay. Hang on. Let me go. Let me go. Okay. Point by point. Okay. Uh, Vladimir Struk was the mayor of a small town called Lemina, eighteen thousand six hundred people. He was kidnapped uh, March first, I believe, and uh, he was found two three days later. Uh, shot through the heart, and they dumped him in the middle of his own town, the town where he was a mayor. And it's it's a small town; eighteen thousand people is not a major, major metropolis, right? And he was dumped there clearly to send a message. And the message was, "We don't like anybody who calls for peace," because that's what he wanted. He wanted a peaceful resolution to the conflict. Okay, so he was one. he was a 
so he he's a is that a Ukrainian or a Russian? Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Oh, he was okay. he was. Uh, I don't was know if he was ethnic U- Russian or Ukrainian or not. Okay. Yeah, but gotcha. he, but in, in in Ukraine, all gotcha. these people are all Ukrainian. These people are, okay, gotcha. Um, okay. Then we have Denis Kiriv. Denis Kiriv was one of the negotiators for the Ukrainian government when they met with the Russian negotiators because the United States, when it goes to war, it doesn't negotiate. It negotiates, negotiates, and then it stops negotiations and starts fighting. But the Russians continue negotiating even as they're fighting, okay? Because there are lots of very good reasons to negotiate with your opponent, uh, you know, to swap dead, you know, or prisoners of war, Mm -hmm. to create, uh, you know, uh, tactical ceasefires so that the Red Cross can come in, stuff like that, okay? The Russians continue negotiating with their enemies. And Denis Kiriv was one of the negotiators, and he was assassinated by the SBU, who were trying to arrest him because he was considered pro-Russian. Yeah, what that okay. means exactly, we will never know. Next one, please. Mikhail and Alexander Kononovich. Yeah, they were um, young communists. They were head of the young communists, right? They were kidnapped. Uh, these kids are like in their early 20s, early mid-20s. They were kidnapped and they are being held by the SBU. Nobody knows exactly where. They're supposed to be tried for treason at some point in the indeterminate future. Okay, next we have uh, Nestor Shufrik. Oh, yeah, Nestor Shufrik. That was, that was the case that really horrified me. That guy was, um, he was, he is a member of parliament and he was picked up by uh, fascist thugs. And there's a famous picture of him where this enormous thug with a beard, and like one of these big, big guys, right? Uh, has him like with his arm around his, his shoulder and like, like giving him like a, like, a, like, a, like a half Nelson kind of thing. And in his hand, he's got a knife, a curved knife right against Nestor Shufrik's throat. And Nestor Shufrik is like this little guy. I mean, he's a mid fifties, late fifties, I believe. And, uh, and this enormous guy is taking a selfie, like, like a trophy, like, oh, look what I caught. And they kidnapped him. Um, then they uh, took that selfie picture, which is horrifying. And then they um, bandaged him up and deposited him with the SBU. And then there's a video of an SBU intelligence officer berating him, verbally abusing him, shoving him around. I mean, scaring the hell out of him. And after that, nobody's know, nobody knows what's happened to him. He's just disappeared. Whether he's alive or dead, nobody knows at this time. I mean, if there's information about it, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to post it. But at this time, he's, nobody knows what's happened to him. What's the next name? Oh, by the way, yep. all of this happened now, okay, mm-hmm. in the past month, except for the Kononovich brothers. I think that happened a little earlier, but I, okay. I, I actually forgot to tell you the truth. Um, okay. But yeah. Next we, next we have Jan Taxier. Yeah, he was a journalist. Lots of journalists have gone missing. And the next guy on the list too, um, uh, Django, Django, I forget his, his name. The next one on the list? Um, Dmitry Jangarov. Yeah, Jangarov, yeah. Those two journalists, right? Jangarov used to do like these video essays exactly like I did, okay? Mm-hmm. That were just analysis kind of thing, you know? And he's a, um, you know, mid fifties kind of guy, kind of overweight, you know, harmless. I mean, I mean, I don't mean this in a despective or derogatory way. I'm just mm-hmm. saying the fact that he is, he's not a military man. He's, you know, he just does these videos that analyze the political situation. And he was kidnapped. And then he was forced to do a video denouncing everything that he had uh, said. And he's with the SBU. And nobody knows what's happened to him. Uh, he's presumed to be alive at this time. But he, his fate is the one that awaits me. Because I've done the same thing, basically doing analysis videos that don't really square with the quote-unquote narrative that the Zelensky regime is pushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the What's last the name, name is Elena Berezhnea. Yeah, she is a, um, a human rights advocate. And um, to tell you the truth, her, I, I, I forgot her story. I, I have to, I'm so sorry about that, that, that I didn't mean to... Uh, to do that, but it sort of like slipped my mind because I posted that a while ago and the amount of information that has come into my head since then is, is kind of mm-hmm. big. So now the big like problem, she looks like she's a former, former fi- professional skater. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, has... you're Googling her. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Googling them as, as we, as we go, just to, yeah. just to is verify any, and to anything, keep track. Yeah. 
Is anything I've said incorrect or a lie? Not, not that I've seen. Obviously, I haven't looked at in depth, but the ones I've I've looked at um, at least half of these, and it verifies the sources I'm seeing are verifying what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I posted the names and I said specifically for each person to go and Google them 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 yourself. Mm -hmm. Because that way, you know, I don't have to make any claims. You Google those names and you come to your own conclusion. And yeah. the conclusions are pretty much inevitable, which is that the Zelensky regime, they are fascist thugs. They are fascist thugs who are repressing people. One of the big problems that a lot of people have noticed is that a lot of dissident journalists are missing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the problem is that nobody's sure if they've been captured by the SBU or one of these uh, right wing thugs. Mm -hmm or if they're simply moving through the country because approximately a quarter to a third of the total population of Ukraine has been displaced. They've moved, right? Mm -hmm. Some have left the country, some have simply moved within the country. And Zelensky regime, at the very beginning of this conflict, they imposed this rule that no able-bodied man um, of fighting age could leave the country. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they sent out squads to go and um, forcibly conscript men of fighting age. And fighting age was designated as anyone between 18 and 60. And they just go and look for you and, and, and press you into service as if this were like the 19th century, you know? So anyway, a lot of people left the cities. I know just about all of the business people that I knew in Kiev left Kiev precisely mm -hmm. for this reason, because they didn't want to be pressed into service. Many of them have, are staying within the country because if they try to get out of the country, they'll be stopped. And mm -hmm. these are well-to-do people, you know, I mean, professionals who have connections and money, but even they can't leave. Okay. And so, yeah, that's, that's what's been going on. And so the, the point I want to emphasize, the West is backing a regime that is horrible. And you have to understand too, Zelensky is not the power. Okay. He's not the man in charge. The man who's really in charge at this time, as I understand it, is a man named Dimitro Yarosh, uh, Y-A-R-O-S-H. He is the head of the right sector, which is this uh, fascist paramilitary group. Um, he is advising Zelensky and Yarosh controls the army chief. Now, Yarosh himself has an earpiece and through that earpiece speaks the dulcet tones of Victoria Newland, the woman I mentioned before, Newland is spelled N-U-L-A-N-D. Victoria Newland is the person who admitted in sworn testimony, uh, sworn Senate testimony in front of uh, Marco Rubio that uh, the U.S. indeed had biolabs in Ukraine. Okay. Those biolabs in Ukraine, they were fabricating all kinds of interesting uh, diseases. And what's interesting about that is that, see, um, Victoria Newland admitted to the fact that these biolabs existed. And she said that um, she was very worried that the Russians would capture it and use those, uh, th those projects that they were developing against Ukraine. Now, let me ask you something. See, if I'm developing, like, a, I have a biolab and I'm developing like a cure for cancer or Alzheimer's or something like that. My concern is that, you know, an invading army doesn't destroy my research, right? I'm not particularly concerned that they'll capture my research because my research is beneficial. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to cure cancer or Alzheimer's or, or any other disease like that, right? But mm -hmm. if I'm worried that an invading army will capture my work product and use it against me, what kind of work product am I dealing with here, okay? And so she herself, Victoria Newland, in the space of maybe 30 seconds of testimony, she confirmed the existence of the biolab and by inference confirmed that what they were working on was deadly. They were bioweapons. By her very words, her very concern that the Russians might capture this material and use it against the Ukraines, she was confirming that the United States had been involved in bioweapons research. And what's interesting is that the Ministry of Defense of Russia has been consistently releasing data, uh, documents that they have captured, showing that a lot of this research revolved around genetically tailored uh, diseases that specifically targeted ethnic groups, specifically Russian ethnic groups. And this sounds insane, but it's actually true. And the Chinese, who would never 
you know, make an allegation unless it was 100% rock solid, they're going up the, the, the Russian foreign ministry, they're going up to the United States and saying, please explain these bio labs and these weapons that you are developing with the Ukrainians here. We want an explanation. And to add like a cherry on the Sunday, these bio labs, it turns out that they were um, uh, uh, financed. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but this is true, man. I mean, I wish I, wish I were kidding. Um, it's finance. Hang on, let me find it here. Hunter Biden, the president's son, was involved in a company called Metabiota. Uh, I will spell it for you. M-E-T-A-B-I-O-T-A. Now, Metabiota had a contract from the U.S. Defense Department, the Pentagon, uh, to develop these uh, biolabs, to build them, you know, and the DODs threw them some money. And um, Metabiota, uh, through Hunter Biden's investment company called Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners, was a partial owner of Metabiota. Metabiota got funding through a funding round organized by Goldman Sachs, and get this, Hunter Biden was the guy who put Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company, and Metabiota, this um, weapons, uh, bioweapons uh, company, together to develop other projects, okay? So th this ball of corruption, it's like a spider web. And the thing is, see, I'm telling you all of this, and I know because of my psychic abilities that you're saying this guy is high. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not, because I'm actually Googling things as you're talking about them. And? Well, uh, and I obviously I cannot read the articles in yeah, depth fast enough, sure. as I'm also as listening to you and talking to you, mm -hmm. but I am just verifying on a basic level. I've just looked up Metabiota and, you know, I've, even Washington Post is talking about they've got an article called The Truth About Hunter Biden and the Ukrainian Biolabs. They're talking about mm -hmm. uh, this company. I haven't. It's a whole article. I haven't obviously yeah, read it, but I'm just... Yeah. You know, I just told you, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot about it. There's a lot about it online. You know that meme of that guy? I don't know which film they got it from, but that, that guy with the crazy hair and he's sticking on his hands and he's got like this, this cork board behind him full of like pictures and documents and all these red strings connecting them, right? Yeah. I feel a little bit like that meme, right? It's ridiculous, <laughs> right? But, yeah. but the, the crazy thing is that this stuff is true, man. Yeah, it's, well, I, I think this is, this is why... I don't know, man. We we live in this very weird time. And I think it's odd because obviously all of this stuff kicked off after two years of the COVID hysteria, right? Where mm -hmm. people have been yeah. bombarded literally for two years straight in all these different countries with all sorts of information and misinformation and confusion and biases and all sorts of stuff, right? And people haven't mm -hmm. even worked out what's going on there. And that followed on from the entire uh, Trump era where there was all that. And now it's like this whole Russia-Ukraine conflict. And I, I think this is also why so many people either just totally check out or simply yep. just opt for the mainstream narrative. Just go, you know what? Um, I'm not going to do my, I'm not going to do research on this. I'm just going to go with what the what the CNN sentiment says. is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I very much went more with the former of just like, you know what, like, I'm gonna. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I'm just gonna check out of this because I have yeah, no I, idea what yeah. is true and what is false. I, and I, it's so I completely understand. I, I completely understand. Uh, and 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 it's it's a rational attitude, okay? Because when you're bombarded with so much information, and uh, on the one hand, it's so relentlessly in one direction that you figure, well, you know, they can't be lying to me, right? And you start digging a little bit, and you go down this crazy rabbit hole. And you're like, whoa, 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 they are lying to me. And they are lying to me like, you know, systematically and, and, mm -hmm. and at a grotesque level, uh, uh, literally, you know, black is white, up is down kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, you know, it can't be. It, it, and I will, I will confess, there have been uh, times during this period of time, because I've been sort of like underground basically for the last four weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, because what happened was that some of my videos took off, they, became, they went viral early in the war. They were shown in Russian TV and Polish TV and Ukrainian TV. And these, um, these thugs wanted my head. Okay. Yeah. And, like, and you know, something, some guy offered Bitcoin for my location, you know, so they could send some people, some goons to kill me, you know, it's just, which is 
it was pretty funny. I thought, you know, I mean, uh, why, why funny. are you, why are you still in the, why are you still in the country? Or is it because I want to see it at this point, it's way too late to get out of uh, Kharkov. Okay. To get out of Kharkov, you'd have to pay off a lot of people uh, and people who might probably kill you. Uh, you know, so it's too so late. Why, why and, do you why do you feel safe or confident enough to do this podcast or to still be, you know, active on social media, et cetera? Genuinely curious. I want to see how it ends. OK, I, look, in 2010, I was in the uh, Great Chilean Earthquake. That was an 8.8 earthquake, one of the strongest in recorded history. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in Santiago. Uh, the epicenter was near Concepcion, which is further south. And, and so where I felt it was, it was calculated at 8.5, 8.6. But I happened to be in my apartment, which was on the 15th floor of my building. Okay. It was quite the experience, I'll tell you. Uh, the the uh, building swayed. Okay. Well, actually, it didn't sway from side to side. It was more like a circular motion. But off the axis, I would say it moved at least two meters, okay, off the axis, right? So basically, it was like four meters from side to side. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And it was a, an experience that I'll never forget. And I felt that I thought to myself, you know, this is the moment I could die, that the building mm -hmm. could topple over. And that's that. And, you know, your life is more valuable by, by the contrast between the highs and the lows, by the contrast of the extremes, see? That moment that I'm describing to you, yeah, that was an extreme moment. And that's something that I'm never going to forget. That difference between just normality and, and this incredible earthquake, right? That's a huge gap. And it's that gap that adds value to your life. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I've been so broke in, in different times in my life that I didn't have money for food, literally. Uh -huh. And then later I've been sitting, um, I don't wanna sound like a jerk, but there have been times that I've been sitting on a million dollars in my bank account or more, mm -hmm. I mean, for real. Mm -hmm. And it's the contrast, see? Because when you're on, at the lowest ebb, it's, it's miserable. But then later when you're at a higher ebb or at the highest ebb and you look at the distance that you've traveled, that's the satisfaction and the joy of life. And so this experience of being here at, in Kharkov um, I can hear uh, uh, shelling going on, and if there's shelling going on, what I'll try to do is get close to the window and open it up so you guys can hear it. How how and often is is it a daily thing? Is it just? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's quiet for a while, and and then some, sometimes it's just like whoa, Nelly. So they're, what they're what are really what are the it. what are the casualties like? I mean, what are they targeting? Uh, they're military, strictly military. The people have fled. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is the other thing that's very interesting that got me a lot of uh, flack is that I pointed out that uh, there have been remarkably few civilian casualties. Okay. Uh, very few, you know, maybe at this point, it seems to be less than 2000. Okay. Across now, the whole country. Two, yeah. 2000 people is a lot of people, mm -hmm. but in a country of 45 million, it's very few. Okay. And, and uh, 45 million where you have an army of 190,000 who came in, you know, hell bent for leather. I mean, they were not messing around. This was like a real war. Mm -hmm. So you have to say to yourself that that's remarkably few casualties. And it's clear that that was the decision of the Russians that they yeah. I mean, not this, want to hurt the country. Yeah, no, this is, this is so interesting. Cause you know, you listen to different people speak. Some people use the term genocide, right? Some people are saying, you know, it's a, it's a genocide. <laughs> I mean, even, even, um, even, um, former president Trump himself in a podcast I listened to like two weeks ago, you know, he was, well, he was saying this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I think that, 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 you know, that, there's a problem with the corruption of language where yeah. words are used in extraordinarily high. I mean, genocide has a very specific and yeah. horrific meaning. Um, yeah. And I'm again, sniff smell test. I'm like, but that's, I don't think that's yeah. the, I don't know. All, I don't know all the goals and intentions and exactly what's going on, but I don't think mm. that's, I don't think that's no. what's going no, no, on. No. Um, and, and to claim that the Russians are trying to genocide the Ukrainian people. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that, that would look very, would very, that would look very, very different. Yeah. yeah, but what's interesting is that, see, the mainstream media in, in the West is painting a portrait of the situation that is so divorced from reality that uh, my concern, and, and I'm going to lay it out there, and, and what I'm going to lay out there sounds crazy, but so many people who are following the situation are, have come more or less to the same conclusion. We all think that um, the, um, the United States and or the Zelensky regime is going to deliberately um, carry out uh, a chemical attack and blame it on the Russians. 
And the reason we think this is that, see, the Russians have destroyed all their chemical weapons back in 2017. And this is known because weapons inspectors at that time verified it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the Russians don't really dig chemical weapons per se, because they realize how counterproductive they are on a political level. And you have to understand that the Russians, when they go to war, they're always thinking of the political angle. For them, the military, it's very like Clausewitz. It's just an extension of uh, war is an extension of, of politics. They don't mm -hmm. view it as separate. They view it as a continuum. Okay. And so for them, they realize that chemical weapons are counterproductive on a political level. And therefore, why use it militarily? And also, it's so unpredictable. Okay. So um, the Russians have no intention of using it. The Russians are clearly winning. But in the West, they're saying that the Russians are losing. Okay. And, and mm -hmm. this is, it's patently absurd. Uh, and by the way, anybody who's interested, Scott Ritter, the former uh, weapons inspector for the United Nations, he, his, um, he did a huge thread uh, yesterday or the day before that explains in great detail, uh, you know, what the Russians are doing insofar as this war of this campaign. I spoke with him uh, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. and we had a long conversation about, about the whole situation. You should have him on because he can explain in detail the military situation and what the Russians are trying to achieve. But anyway, uh, the point is that, see, since the propaganda in the West is so clearly that the Russians are losing, the Russians are losing, even though they're not, and even though the Ukrainians can't produce any victory because they don't win, you know, because they're losing, they're getting their asses handed to them. Um, there is the fear that since the since Washington has said that chemical weapons would be a red line that would trigger some response from NATO, I mean, mm -hmm. presumably an invasion or air battles or God knows what. There is the belief that a lot of a lot of people believe, and I do too, that the United States and or the Zelensky regime will deliberately release chemical weapons, blame it on the Russians as an excuse for NATO intervention. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense if you consistently say that the Russians are losing, they're losing, they're losing, then you come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, they were losing the war. And so they used chemical weapons. Mm -hmm. If you know for a fact that they're winning, then it doesn't make any sense that they would use chemical weapons. Okay. Yeah. Where can, I think the best place is where can people find you online so that they uh, can you, uh, follow yeah, on you, from this? You can find me on YouTube at uh, Gonzalo Lira on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and put my name in and you'll find me right away. Mm -hmm. Or you can find me on Twitter at Real Gonzalo Lira and also on Telegram. Uh, okay. But real, uh, the, the Twitter is the easiest one because there I have like links to the other stuff. So that might be the easiest one. Yeah. Awesome. No doubt, yeah. man. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your insight on this. Right. Um, there's a lot to dig into on this for anyone who is interested. I'm doing my best to, uh, I didn't, I wasn't planning on doing any podcasts, honestly, about this subject, but you reached out to me and I thought, you know what? Sounds like you've got some good insights and you're on the ground personally. So Let's do this one and uh, people can do their research and reach their conclusions on this. this. That's the most important thing because you don't have to take my word for anything that I've said. Anything mm -hmm. I've said, just double check it, see for yourself and, and find out if I'm just, you know, just making stuff up or I'm telling you how things actually are. And, and I have to insist before I go, my, the Russians are winning. And this war, if we go at the, at, at the pace we're at, it ought to be over by the end of April. And that would be the, the, the least amount of people dead or injured because of this uh, uh, military operation, right? And that's what we want. We want to minimize loss of life. We're in this war. Okay, so let's, let's figure out a way to minimize loss of life. So right, anyway, man. I just, just wanted to do that. Take okay. it easy. All nice, the best. man. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.